Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Hallelujah. Part of what I was hearing and I started hearing it yesterday was about chains being broken off. And what we are in right now, and we've been in for 2,000 years, has been a war of information. It's a, it's a war of what is really true versus lies, versus what's not, not true. And so the enemy has been clamoring all of this time trying to get people to misunderstand or to not understand what the gospel really is and what Jesus came to produce. And so I believe today I'm going to give you some clarity that's going to help break off some some wrong thinking and some understanding, some misunderstanding that we've had concerning the gospel, concerning what Jesus has done. And you know, the enemy is a snake, he's a liar, he's a deceiver, but he's a big nothing because Jesus has defeated him. And the only authority that the enemy has in our life is what we give him. And when I, sometimes when I say that, people say, well, I'm not giving him any authority. The lack of understanding we have about what Jesus has done for us in the position that we're seated with him right now is giving the devil authority in our life. It's the same thing the enemy's been clamoring since the beginning of man, back all the way back in the garden, and we're going to go there in just a moment. It's the same thing he's been clamoring. He try, he's trying to get people to not know And if they know it, to get them to not believe in the identity that they have in him. That we don't identify with just ourselves. We don't identify with our natural heritage. And for me, I found out we did an ancestry thing not long ago, and I'm basically a mutt. So I don't have anything to identify with, naturally speaking. And even, you know, Liz, is, she's got some Cherokee in her and she's got some Italian in her and these different things. And so it's like, what are we supposed to really latch on to to identify with? Jesus is the one we're supposed to identify with. There's your answer. And so the enemy, if he can get us uh, to not know who we really are and who God really is and what he's done for us, then he has us. On the flip side, if you can find a believer who's full of confidence in who they are, full of the revelation, the knowledge of who they are in Christ Jesus, then the enemy can't touch them. Because everything we have in Christ is more than enough to be able to accomplish everything that God's asked us to accomplish. And most importantly, we can live, regardless if we have uh, restraints going on around us, we can live free on the inside And if there's one thing that I want to be able to do, one thing I want to be able to conquer, I want to be able to conquer what Kent deals with on the inside, the war that happens in my mind and the war that the enemy is waging now. It's a war over information. It's a war over revelation. It's a war over what God has already accomplished through Jesus that he doesn't want believers to know and understand. And so for many years, people have been held captive by what the enemy has lied and perpetrated to be something greater than what he really is. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let me show you this. Philippians chapter 3, and we're familiar with this verse. This is one of those resurrection verses that often gets used on Resurrection Sunday, but it's one that also gets very misunderstood. And I believe by the grace of God, I'm going to help bring some understanding about this today. And look here in Philippians chapter 3. 
In verse 9, actually, let's start in verse 8. It says, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, if you understand this in context, which I'm not going to go back and read it all, Paul is talking about all of the accomplishments that he had concerning the law, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he accomplished so many things, that he persecuted the church, that he was he was above all of his companions, that he, man, he, he had all of the things concerning the law down really, really great. And so going into verse uh, nine, it says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Most people don't think that the law points to your righteousness. They think it points to God's righteousness. But the reality is the standard that was in the law was accurate. But the standard was given to reveal to men that we absolutely needed favor and we needed grace from God on an unearned, unmerited basis. And our law keeping could never get all the favor that we need from God to live a powerful, victorious life here on this earth, not only to accomplish his plan and will, but also over the accusations of the enemy. We need God's favor. We need God's righteousness. It says, So, but that which is through faith in Christ, talking about righteousness, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. This is one of the most, again, one of the most quoted verses on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Day, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. But if you understand the English, you can see that word that, is there to, to make a conjunction with the, with the verse that's before it. And so let's go back and read it all together. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Knowing, understanding, having a revelation of the righteousness that you and I have in Christ Jesus through faith and not through the works of the law, that's what causes us to know him and the power of his resurrection. And what's happened is that the enemy has, has uh, captivated really the whole world and even much of the church into a performance-based mentality, a works-based system that has left people high and dry. Not only is their performance horrible, but it's also left them without proper relationship with Jesus because it's all based on their works. And they might even be shooting for the right thing. They might even be looking to, to keep the law perfectly, but the law was never meant to keep be kept perfectly. If you read in Romans chapter 8, it talks about that the law brings about death. And the law was something that could never be, could never be kept. And it was supposed to expose the, in, the inability in man to be able to measure up to God. So that man would come to a point to where we go, God, I give up. I'm a failure. I can't do anything on my own. And then he would go, awesome. Now, would you trust me? Would you trust me to give you the righteousness that you need to be at that right place at that right standing with me? That's what the Lord is asking. And for those that are found in his righteousness that comes through faith, it says that's what will cause those people to know his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You know what it looks like to be conformed to his death in terms of the law, in terms of any kind of system that you could find yourself in, a performance-based system? What it looks like to come to the place of the death of the cross is where you you realize what Jesus did for you and that we might be found, because it tells us in Romans chapter 6, 
That if we're going to be found in the likeness of his resurrection, we need to first be found in the, in the likeness of his death. And so that as he was buried and was risen again in newness of life, so we were buried and risen again in newness of life. Because we don't have the ability to perform at a high enough level in order to satisfy and appease God. That's why Jesus had to do it. So when he's talking about being conformed to his death, he's talking about us coming to the end of ourselves to where we quit trusting in ourselves, we quit trusting in our performance, we come to the point of dying to ourselves, dying to our ability to where we can have the resurrection life of Christ manifested in our life. If you go on to look at the next verse, it says, if by means... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I've heard this taught before, that people say that if you're not doing things right, if you're not living right, then you may not attain to the resurrection of the dead. And when Jesus comes back, and, and for those that are, that are pre-tribulation you know, pre, uh, uh, rapture, they'll say, well, you're not going to go on the first round <laughs> because you haven't attained to the resurrection of the dead or whatever it is. Or, or when Jesus comes back and, and the dead in Christ arise first, that you won't go with him because your, your level of performance hasn't been good enough. That's actually completely opposite of what this is saying. What Paul's saying is that I've found my life in Christ and I want the resurrection power of Jesus to be fully manifest in my life because he goes on to say, not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also lay hold of me. So he's talking about the fact that the Christian life is a process of laying ourselves down and all, all of our works, all of our doings, all of the things that we try to do to perform to get God to accept us. That when we, when we come to the point at the beginning of our salvation where we say, God, I belong to you, Everything belongs to you. My life belongs to you. There's where the process starts. But it is a process of working out our salvation, which, which comes through him. It's a process of working it out. You don't work to get it. You work to manifest it outwardly. You work to take what God has given you, the new creation on the inside, and you work to see that manifest on the outside. Because what most people are operating and walking in are measures of death in their life, and that's why they don't see victory. But you can't get victory in your life in any area without God's help. And before you can have the resurrection power, before you can know the resurrection power and walk in the resurrection power, you first have to come to death of self. This is one of the most basic elements of the gospel, one of the most basic teachings that Jesus uh, gave his disciples, one of the most basic principles of the New Testament church, it was repentance from dead works and faith toward God. You can find this in Hebrews chapter 6 around verse 1 or 2. And it says that an elementary basic principle is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Why does it say repentance from dead works and faith toward God? Dead works are not evil works. Dead works are good works that people do to try to obtain favor with God based on their works. And this is the most basic elementary thing when it comes to having a relationship with the Lord is that you repent from your works of trying to get God to accept you, which are called dead works, repentance from dead works, and faith toward God. But let me tell you something. The enemy is still playing the same game with people. After all of these years, he has warped our minds, he has blinded us, and we have not come into a full revelation of the gospel of Jesus and what it is fully able to produce in our life. 
And I'm telling you, folks, if you get a hold of what I'm saying, you get a hold of the revelation of the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, you'll stop living like the old Adam, and you'll start living like the last Adam. You won't reflect the first Adam, but you'll reflect the last Adam. Because what the first Adam did to cause the whole world to be in a perpetual state of sin, of sin consciousness, of working to try to get to God, Jesus came in and he annulled that. And it says that through faith in the one and the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign through the one. And this is why the enemy has fought so hard against the gospel, against what Paul preached. Because if you truly know the righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus, that you have a right stance, that you're right with him right now, and that you've been perfected in your spirit, man, if anybody really gets a hold of that, they won't go backwards to live like the old Adam. They'll go forward and to live like the new Adam. In any area of death they find in their life, they go, God, I can't fix this. I have to lay this over on you so that I can have your resurrection power power in my life. But if someone doesn't understand the resurrection, the righteousness that's been given to us in Christ Jesus, they're going to go back under the enemy's old system and they're going to get into this cycle. And I'm going to show you here, this here in a minute. It's a, it's a cycle that the enemy keeps people in and it keeps them bound in a system of works, trying to perform, trying to get God to accept, trying to get favor to manifest in, in their life, trying to have resurrection power manifesting in their life. When the reality is we don't, have, we don't have enough power to heal a fly. We don't have enough power to change the, the sin patterns that we've been in. We don't have enough power to change the bad habits. We don't have power to do anything, not in and of ourselves. But what we have in Christ Jesus is more than enough. It's a tremendous power. It's a great power. But before we can be found in the likeness of his resurrection, we first have to be found in the likeness of his death. This is where we come to a very basic place in our life to where we say, God, enough of me. I'm not trying anymore. I'm not going to strive anymore. I'm not going to work for it anymore. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with issues. I'm struggling with problems. And I'm going to cast all that over on you, and I'm going to receive your resurrection power through the righteousness that comes in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to overcome these things in the name of Jesus. But we have to understand something. Let me read you a verse here from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to end up in Genesis chapter 3 here in just a minute. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and this is, I'm telling you, this is going to come alive in you. More chains are going to fall off your mind today in Jesus' name. Knowledge, and proper knowledge, revelation knowledge of God and the Word is so important. It tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that grace and peace are multiplied unto you through the knowledge of Him. So it's not enough to just hear some things. It's not enough to just have an encounter, although all those things are amazing and awesome. We need to know what God says. We need to know what his word says. And also, we need to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. And I'm going to tell you something. He's got the same, he has the same devices, the same things he's been throwing at people, the same lies he's been throwing at people for years. He just packages it differently. And so if we can get to the point to where we recognize where those packages are, are coming from, we're going to say, return to cinder. It's not going to have any part in my life. The lies that he would speak to us, it's not going to have any part in my life. The identity crisis that the body of Christ is in, I believe in Jesus' name and I prophesy in Jesus' name. There is a resurrection coming to the body of Christ about the identity that we have in Christ Jesus and the fact that we are found in him, we are saved in him, we are sealed in him, we're set apart in him. Hallelujah. 
I believe that that's coming in greater measure, but it's going to come as the revelation comes of who he really is. And look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says in verse 3, and in context, I have to tell you this, in, in context, this whole thing, and if you remember about the, the Bible that we, man has separated in chapter and verse, and there's nothing wrong with that, but this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And if you go back and you look in chapter 3, he's talking about the difference between the old covenant, which had a measure of glory, but the new covenant is much more glorious. But when he refers to the old covenant, he refers to that which is written and engraved on stones. In specific, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And he's talking about the law. There's only one thing that was written and engraved on stones in the old covenant, and it was the Ten Commandments. You can go and read it for yourself. He calls it a ministry of death or a ministry of condemnation. Why? Why is it a ministry of condemnation? Because when religious people hear that, they go, oh, not the sacred Ten Commandments. Listen, the Ten Commandments are sacred, but they were never meant to perfect you. They were meant to actually destroy the pride of man. To make man realize that they can never come to a place of fully being right with God. And it would cause them to go, God, I can't do it. I need your help. That's the reason why God gave the law. But the reason he gave Jesus is so that he could come as a free gift and impute righteousness. Impute his resurrection power on the inside of us to cause us to go to the next level. To cause us to be able to overcome. To cause us to overcome those circumstances, those sins, those issues that have been overcoming us in Jesus' name. And so look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, talking about the new covenant, even if it is veiled, it is veiled, veiled to those who are perishing. And I used to read this and think this is just talking about the unbelievers. This is also talking about believers because there are believers that are perishing. And I'm not saying that they're going to hell. If they put their trust in Jesus, I believe it's, it's a done deal and they're going to go to heaven. Amen. Because what God did, what the second Adam did was far greater than what the first Adam did. And if the first Adam caused all of the people in the whole world to be born perpetually into sin, then for those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus, the second and the last Adam... What he did is far greater than what the first Adam did. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But there are a lot of believers who are perishing in the sense that they are experiencing death in their life. Why? It's because the God of this world, as we're getting ready to, to read, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, the ones who really don't know, believers and unbelievers believers alike. He's blinded their minds. He's battling in their minds to get them to either not believe or if they do believe to not fully understand what we've been saved from, what has been dealt with on the cross in the position that we now have in Christ Jesus. The enemy doesn't want us to understand it because as soon as a person, as soon as the church comes into the full revelation of the gospel of Jesus, of what Jesus has done and how he has seated us in the most high place that there is to be seated in the kingdom of God at the right hand of the Father. When we get a hold of it, folks, things are going to explode. And I believe that there is a, in this time, there's an increase in our hearts and our minds and our understanding of the revelation of the gospel of Jesus. Because the Bible says that this gospel will be preached and then the end, then the end will come. And the Apostle Paul tells us that according to his gospel that he preached, which was none other than grace, 
It was none other than faith righteousness. That gospel will be the gospel that all men are judged by. It's not another gospel. It's not a works-based thing. It's not a mixture of law and grace. It's the pure, undiluted, unadulterated gospel of grace. And unfortunately, we've lived, we've lived in a time when God has begun to reveal things. But how many of y'all know when God reveals things, the enemy always comes in to pervert things? And we've had some weirdos. And that's being nice. We've had some weirdos. We've had some messed up people. We've had some false teachers that have even come in and said, you don't even need to be born again because ultimately everybody's going to be reconciled. That is false. That is wrong. That's anti-scriptural and that is anti-Christ. God does not force anyone to be saved. He doesn't force anyone to receive the name of Jesus. You have to do it on your own choosing. You have to choose it. You have to do it. It's up to you to receive it. God did the work through Jesus, and he's presented a full table, a full platter there before us. But we have to say yes to him. But all the ones that say yes to him, the table is so plentiful, so bountiful, it's overflowing with all the benefits of living in the kingdom of God, all the benefits of what right relationship does with him. I'm telling you what I'm preaching right now, it's the answer to more miracles. When I'm preaching right now, it's the answer to greater manifestations of healings. See, I'm one of the most radical people you'll ever meet. I actually hold back. <laughs> this is the answer to seeing limbs grow out. This is the answer to seeing the dead raised. You want to know how my mind thinks? And don't worry, I'll get back to the scripture verse in a minute. You want to know how my mind thinks? I told Liz recently, you know, when you look and you see where Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, it says that some of the saints, I don't know if I can say this. I'm going to say it, but <laughs> it says that some of the saints were raised from the dead that came out of their tombs. Now, it doesn't give us a whole lot of un uh, information or understanding about that, but it says that they came out. They were raised from the dead. And I was reading that, and the thought crossed my mind, wait a second, if the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me, and that spirit that raised him from the dead had so much power beaming that it also caused some of the other people, some of the saints, to be raised from the dead at the same time, go and read it. It's in your Bible. You don't believe me? Go and read it. My mind, this was just recently, this past week I was thinking, could it be possible that people that have been dead already in the graves, already in their grave clothes, come back to life? Oh, I just think that's preposterous. We already had a funeral. Who cares? <laughs> Is the potential there? You betcha, because it's in the Bible. Anything that's in the Bible, if God quickens, we can see it happen. We need to go to greater levels of believing God. You say, well, if they're in heaven, they're, they're at peace. Could you imagine what saints, oh my gosh, who have been in the presence of God, and I know time's different in heaven, I'm sure. We're outside of, heaven's outside of the, the earth time. But you, could you imagine saints that have been sitting and drinking from the throne of God, from the, from the river of God that flows from the throne of God, that have seen Jesus in person, that have talked to Abraham, that have talked to David, that have talked to all of these saints, that have talked to the apostle Paul. Could you imagine what it would be like if some of them were raised from the dead? Most of you have never thought that way. And you know, you know what unbelief says? And you go, well, is that really going to happen? I don't know. I'm just saying it could. It happened in Jesus' day in the same spirit. <clears throat> the same spirit. Not a similar spirit. The same exact spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us. Thank you, Jesus. And we'll quicken our mortal bodies. You need healing in your body? That same spirit will quicken your mortal body.
Hallelujah. Man, I love being radical. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. All right, back to the scripture verse. Listen here. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. It says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. And he's talking about the ones that are perishing. The God of this age has blinded. This is talking about Satan. Satan is the God of this age, this world system. What's going on in a world? Satan is the God of that. He's the one in charge of how the world is operating. And people go, Jesus is in charge. Well, God's in charge of the earth. There's not, the earth isn't going to come to an end. God's in charge of the earth. You can't throw enough plastic bottles in the ocean to make it come to the end. And I'm not for throwing trash around, okay? So don't misunderstand me. God's in charge of the earth, but the system that's in the world, that is Satan's system. It says, whose mind, the God, whose minds, whose minds, whose minds, this is about knowledge, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should be shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is about the enemy blinding us to what we really have. I pray in Jesus' name that our, that our minds be more opened up that the more we're opened up, the more of ourselves that we cast over on Jesus, the more of the death that's been operating in our life that we cast over on Jesus, we go to the death of the cross with Jesus. We lay those things down so we can experience the resurrection power in our life. Hallelujah. I'm going to take you back and I'm going to show you where all of this began. Genesis chapter 3. Here is where all of the world got plummeted in to the problem that we are now facing right now. Do you realize that the church is here as a result of the fall. The church is here to bring the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, to set captives free, to set people bound in all kinds of, of sin, iniquity, and also people that are bound in self-righteousness. Because the enemy is, has kept people in a place of self for so long. And on one end of the spectrum, you have people that are into unrighteousness. There's basically three types of righteousness. There's God's righteousness, which comes through Christ Jesus. And then you have this horizontal plane is how I look at it. And you've got on one end of the spectrum, you have unrighteousness, and it's all of the, the evil wickedness of things that people do. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have self-righteousness. But the whole thing is all about what self can do. And the world... The ones who are outside of Christ are stuck in unrighteousness. But listen to me now. On the other end of that stick, on the other end of that spectrum, most of the church is stuck in self-righteousness. And what self can do is only so much. And this is, this is essentially what the law did and why it was brought in is to cause people to go, self has no ability to perform at a high enough level. And to be honest with you, I think that God's standard is probably even higher than what the law says, but that was just the best that man could understand really how holy God is. He is infinitely holy if we can even express it like that. He's a mega, mega, mega holy God. I was going to say monster holy, and I thought that doesn't sound good, and so I said mega, but I mixed it. He's incredibly holy. 
And the only way we could ever have a relationship with him is through faith, through what Jesus has done. But see, what Jesus did was he threw away all of the record, all the handwriting of requirements, all the things that were against us. Jesus annulled all of those things. Hold your place in Genesis. Let me read this in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. This says it so clearly. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, canceled out every legal violation. This is the Passion Translation that we had on, on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam, everything we once were in Adam has been placed on his cross and nailed permanently. Everybody say permanently. Has been nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. What are the handwriting of requirements that were against us? It was the law. The law is what the enemy comes in to beat people over the head with and say, you're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. The standard is correct, but trying to be justified by it is incorrect. We cannot be justified through the keeping of the law. We have to be found in his righteousness, not in our own righteousness, which is in the law, according to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, which I just read. Verse 15, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a, in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. You know what this, hallelujah, you know what this is saying? Is that everything that was against us, everything that said we couldn't perform, that the enemy has been saying, look how bad you are. Look how wrong you are. Look at what you're, you're not doing right. And on the end of the spectrum of self-righteousness, what happens is that people set the bar where they think the level is, and it's never up to the level of the law because nobody can keep that. They set the bar and they get to that level and the enemy goes, well, actually, whoops, just kidding. Here's the bar right here. And then they strive and they work to try to get to this level of righteousness. All the while, the church and the world is deceived, listening to the lies of the enemy that we have to perform for God to accept us. When God says, you can't perform well enough, you have to put faith and trust in my son Jesus. And when you do that and you build a relationship with him and you throw all of your cares, all of your self-righteousness, all of your unrighteousness over on him, I will give you my righteousness. I'll give you my power. I'll give you my resurrection. And you can live the most prosperous, faith-filled, abundant life full of the Holy Ghost and full of holy, right living. You know what I found is that people don't want to live unholy. Unholiness is sometimes fun on the flesh, but it's really hard on the conscience. It's really hard on the conscience. So let me go back to Genesis, and I want to show you this very quickly. I promise this will be quick. Genesis chapter 3, and stop laughing. I hear you laughing. Genesis, yes, Psalm 2, 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. God, God is also laughing. All right. Genesis 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning. This is where it all fell apart. And I want you to see the process of the enemy. It's the same process today. It says, And the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And so he came and he began to question God's word. As a matter of fact, yeah, God did say that. And she at first was doing good. And it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the free, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What did he do? He came in with a very enticing lie. Because it would have been really nice if they could have partaken of something 
gotten into self-gratification and it not caused death. But we all know the end of the story, don't we? It says, for God knows, and this is Satan speaking, that in the day that you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was he doing? He was getting them to question their identity. He was getting them to believe that they were missing out on something that God was withholding. They were already 100% just like God. They weren't God, but they were just like him. They were created in his likeness, in his image. They had perfect relationship with the Lord up to this point. How do we know? It's because when we read on down here, they found themselves naked and went and covered themselves. Before that, back in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Their relationship with the Lord was perfect. How did the enemy get them off? First, he told them a lie, but then he came in and he questioned their identity and he questioned the authority of God's word. When you fast forward to Jesus, fast forward however many thousands of years to Jesus, what did the enemy do with Jesus? What did he do with the second Adam? Or the last Adam is a better way to say it. What did he do with the last Adam? The exact same thing. It says that after Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, and he was tempted there by the enemy. And what did the enemy do? He began to question God's word and he questioned Jesus' sonship in his identity. He said, if you are the son of God, if, of course he was the son of God. But see, Jesus was able to end it all right there and not let the rest of the process happen to him that happened to Adam and Eve because Jesus took the word of God, he quoted it, and he stuck with it, and he didn't listen to the lies of the enemy. He didn't question the identity and the authority that he had in Christ. Adam and Eve, on the other hand, it was a different story. In verse 6, it, so when the woman, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was ple uh, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God said to Adam, and he said to him, where are you? Called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There is a process that the enemy brought them into and I'm gonna show you this process here. I call this Satan's cycle of death. And it's the, the same thing that he did in the garden. Folks, he's doing the exact same thing today. It's the same thing. And if we can see what we really have in Christ Jesus, we see the revelation of the right standing, the identity that we have in Christ, we don't have to fall prey to Satan's cycle anymore. But I've labeled this Satan's cycle of death. And if you follow this, this is straight from the word of God. The first thing that he did, and this is a cycle, it's a vicious cycle that people get into. Number one is he gets people to question their identity. What he comes to you and what he says to you and to me is, you know, if you're really the son of God, if you're really the daughter of God, there should not be any more if in there because Jesus has declared us a son. He was the firstborn among many brethren. We are the brother of Jesus. Respectfully, we are his brother. We are a co-heir and all of the benefits that Jesus has, we have all of the same benefits. Hallelujah. So the first thing he gets them to do and with Adam and Eve is they question their, their uh, identity. And then because they question their identity, because they were willing to listen to the lie, of you're missing something, God's withheld something from you, they got into human reasoning. 
They begin to think, oh, you know, actually, maybe I could partake of the fruit. Maybe I could do it. And what happened is they acted accordingly. It says that they saw when the, when the tree was uh, desirable to make one wise, that it was good for eating and all of those things that they acted on it. They ate of it. And then what happened? Immediately, their eyes were opened to the reality of their humanity. And instantly, a performance-based mentality was entered into the human race right there. And what happened is they came into shame. How do we know that? Because they covered themselves. They were ashamed. The Bible says that they were ashamed. They were naked. They covered themselves. And then what happened is that when when they covered themselves, that was a form of self-effort. They entered into self-effort. Then it says that they were afraid of God. And then it says that they hid from God. And you know, if you get in this cycle, which is Satan's cycle, it will cause you to be totally separated because God said that the day that you eat of that tree, go and read it. It says the day that you eat of the tree, you will die. They didn't die physically that day because they went on to conceive children. I mean, I'll know that takes time. They didn't die physically. There was a spiritual death that took place and the spiritual death that has taken place in humanity has caused men and women to have their eyes opened up. You can take the best Christian or you can take the worst sinner in the world. Everybody knows that they are not right with God. That we are born into this world, sinners were born after the seed of Adam, we are automatically born dead into this world. But if we don't have a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has produced through his righteousness, Satan will always bring us back into this cycle. And what happens when you get to the place to where you hide from God? You won't seek him for the answers. You won't go to God and say, help, I need your help. Lord, have mercy on me. I need your help in this area. You won't. You'll stay hidden. And then what you'll do is you'll cut yourself off from God and you'll go back into questioning your identity and you fall deeper into the enemy's cycle. This is what the enemy does with religion. He does this with people that are, that are bound in sin, but he also does it with people in religion. He get, and what religion is, is Satan's plan for the church. It's a system of works. All of, the, all of the, the, the world religions in the whole world all come back to this right here. It all comes back to Genesis 3 right here. This is why Paul told us in Colossians chapter 2 and ver- verse 8, he says, beware. And there's many verses that say this. I'm going to read this one just for time's sake. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. What's he talking about world? Is it just talking about people that are being worldly? No, it's Satan's system. The God of this world has blinded people's minds to the light of the glorious gospel so they stay in a place of either unrighteousness or self-righteousness and never come out and come to the place of God's righteousness. So he says, be careful, beware that people don't bring you into this, into the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. What has Christ done? Christ came and he canceled out all the handwriting of requirements that were against us. He came and he totally obliterated that. And what Satan has done, Satan, if he can't get you, get you born again, he'll get you into some other kind of religion. Into, into Hinduism or Buddhism or Confucianism, which is confusing to me, and, and uh, Muslimism or all the other kind of isms that there are. He'll get you involved in that. Why? Because it's the same process. They don't know their identity. They come into human reasoning. They act accordingly. They're full of shame. They get into self-effort to try to cover up. They're afraid of God. They hide from God, and they continue the process. The Bible tells us that inside of every single human being, in Romans chapter 1, Man, I'm going as fast as I can. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us that all creation, everybody knows, has an intuitive knowledge that there's a God. But why are they hiding? 
They're hiding because they're either stuck in unrighteousness or they're stuck in self-righteousness. And this, this and, and world religion is a form of self-righteousness to all the other religions that are out there. And listen to me, church, much I'm going to say most of the church is stuck in the basic elementary principles of the world. This right here, Satan's cycle of death listed in Genesis chapter 3. Most of the church is stuck there, and that's why we are living in a time that there is no power, there's no victory, there's no miracles. But I'm telling you, hold on, because right around the corner, the power of God through the gospel is going to be unleashed in greater measure. We're going to see more miracles, more healings, more things take place supernaturally, than we ever have at any other point in time. I'm telling you, we're right on the point of another great awakening in the same power, the same spirit that worked through the early apostles and worked through Jesus is working in us and we're going to see it in greater measure. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this is, this get this, this just lights a fire in me like nothing else. And when I started to get a hold of this, that it's like, whoa, wait a second. This isn't about my performance. It's about Jesus' performance. And what he did canceled out all of my wrong performance. And you know what I did? You know what I did? I said, thank you, Jesus. I want to go live in sin. I want to go commit adultery. I didn't say that. I'm kidding. Some of you are like, well, really? You did that? No. When you see how much God loves you, how much grace he's extended to you, a human heart that's humbled before him will say, God, I don't, I don't ever want to do anything wrong again. All I want to do is just please you. So then you start to live right because it's a fruit of righteousness and not a root of righteousness. Oh, God. Okay, let me show you God's cycle of life. Because what the enemy does is he just perverts he didn't create anything. He just perverts things. Here's God's cycle of life. Basically the same thing, but it's reversed. When we know our identity that we have in Christ, God, hallelujah. Man, Jesus knew his identity. He didn't question his identity. He didn't question who he was. You say, well, you just don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus has paid the price. It's done. It's a done deal. It says in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says that, that speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, he gave himself for our sins. What does that mean? It means that we really messed everything up. And so he gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. What's the present evil age? It's Satan's death cycle. <laughs> it's, the, it's how he, what he did to, to Adam and Eve. That's what's happening in this present evil age. And I'm going to tell you this too as a side note. Some of you have been born again Many of you have been born again, probably most everybody watching. You've been born again, and you've been born again under a wrong revelation. You've been born again, but it's been under a wrong revelation. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. People for centuries have focused on, and I've heard preacher after preacher after preacher, and I, I'm not trying to split hairs here, but it's very important, that they'll say when they're leading someone to the Lord, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and oftentimes it'll be like, you know, that thing that you did last night, Jesus has forgiven you. Just come to Jesus, whatever. And they get all religious like that. I'm not trying to mock anybody, but we've heard these things. And what they do is they focus on the individual's actions and say, Jesus has forgiven you. Now come to him. And then what happens is that once they get born again, they're like, Jesus, I'm yours. They mess up. And because they think that he saved them only from their action and not their nature, they think their salvation only goes as far as the, the actions that they do. Folks, that's getting saved under a wrong revelation. You're saved, but it's under a wrong revelation. 
The revelation we should get saved under is that Jesus was the last Adam, and he saved us from the results of the first Adam, which was a wrong nature. We were born into sin. Because we were born into sin, our nature is what caused us to become sinners. Most people think that I'm a sinner because I sin. Not true. You sin before Christ. You sin because you were a sinner. The nature that was in you produces death outside of you or through you. But now that you've come into Christ, and if we have an understanding of this, the new nature on the inside of us will produce that nature on the outside of us. That will produce that in our life, which is what? It's a righteous nature. You don't have the old man anymore. If you're reading the, the, the NIV version, <laughs> gently set that aside and stop reading it, okay? And then go to almost any other version, and you look in, Hebrew, or in, uh, in Romans chapter 7, and it talks about the, it's actually, it's Romans chapter 6, and it talks about the old, or the, excuse me, the flesh, and that that is our battle is the flesh. Now, if you read in the NIV, it says the old man. Well, if you've got a new man, how can you have an old man? Are you schizophrenic? No. You've got one nature, and the new nature that you have is in Christ Jesus the old man, as the new king or the, the NIV talks about, the old man was dead and buried, and then it basically tells you that you're battling the new man or the, the old man. But the reality is, is that we're battling flesh and an unrenewed mind. And the mind needs to be renewed according to who we are in Christ Jesus. This is why it says in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Put on the new man, which was created in righteousness and true holiness. Hallelujah. Oh, Thank you, Jesus. Okay, here's God's cycle. When you know your ID, God's cycle of life, when you know the identity you have in Christ, and then you say what God says, agree with what God says, Jesus agreed with what God says, then you'll act accordingly. <laughs> it took me a while to believe that I was righteous, to really be fully persuaded because I saw my actions. My actions didn't line up with what I knew God said about me. I would drive down the road and go, I'm righteous. I am righteous. Oh, I'm righteous. I am righteous. I'm the righteousness of God. And I would sing, I'm the righteousness of God forever, or whatever. You know, I would just declare in a thousand different ways that I am righteous. And my actions really weren't that great. But when I got to the, to the point where I was fully persuaded, you know what happened? I was saying what God says. I started to act righteous. And now I'm just one righteous acting dude. Amen. I don't have it all together, but I am more righteous in my actions now than I ever have been because I know the identity that I have in Christ. This brings confidence in him. I'm not scared of God. I have a reverential fear, but I'm not scared. I have confidence in him. It's caused me to trust God. And it's also caused, then it, then it has caused me to have a reverential fear of him. And then instead of hiding from God, I hide in God. I go to him, I run to him when I'm in time of trouble and say, help, you're my hiding place. And as a matter of fact, I try not to run in and out. I just try to stay there and just stay hidden in God. And you know what that, you know what happens when you get hidden in God and you spend time with him? You know what he'll remind you of? What a worthless worm and sinner and nasty person you are? No, that's what the devil does. If you think God's telling you that, you're listening to the lies of the devil. Stop listening to the enemy. You're not, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you're not, you're not a nasty, worthless, no good for nothing anybody. That's what the devil is. 
And he's trying to bring you into his vicious death cycle to get you to believe something different than what God says about you. You need to take his, his death cycle, which is condemnation, throw it out, find the new life that you have in Christ Jesus, and get into God's system. Get into what God says. And when you find yourself hidden in him, you know what he'll say to you? Oh, you're my kid. I love you. You're right with me. You have favor with me. You can come sit on my lap. And that's when you can go, because there's a trust there that you can go, God, you saw what I did. He'll go, I know, that was really stupid. Don't do that anymore. God, will you for Yes, I've already forgiven you through Jesus, and thank you for humbling yourself, and I'm here, and I'll help you not do that thing again. See, this will cause you to run to God or go to God and not run away from The other one causes you to be in shame, self-effort, and to really try to do, to do something to gain God's favor. This is, I'm already in God's favor, and the enemy's not going to lie and cheat me. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be aware, I'm going to be careful of philosophy and empty deceit and the traditions of men and the basic principles of the world. I'm not getting caught up in that stuff again. I know what I did wasn't right. I know I'm not thinking 100% right about everything, but it doesn't change God's love for me and it doesn't change where I'm seated. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray with you and then we're going to quit. We're going to close. Father, I thank you for the resurrection power that we have in Christ Jesus, that we'd be found in your righteousness, that we'd be found in the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that, of God that comes through faith in his son. And we wouldn't be found in our righteousness, which comes from the law. That God, we wouldn't be focused on our performance. And Lord, our heart is to keep the law. Our heart is to do what's right, but our heart isn't to go do a bunch of stuff so you'll be pleased with us. Our heart is just to live our life before you in faith, knowing that what you've done is greater than all the bad stuff that we've done. What you did in the nature of Jesus that he's freely given us, the righteousness that he's freely given us, is so far much greater and so far beyond the nature that we were born with, the sin nature. And so, Father, I thank you that anyone that's listening to the sound of my voice, the Spirit of God has captured your heart. And you, you, have, you have a stirring in you. You need to reach out and say, yes, God, I'm not going to trust in my righteousness anymore. I'm not going to trust in my ability anymore. Father, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to lean to you because you're where my hope and my help comes from. And Father, I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. That God, this is the day to where the resurrection power of Jesus comes alive on the inside of me. And my life completely belongs to you. And when I find an area that's not right, I'm going to take it to the cross. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it to the place of death so that I can have your resurrection on the inside of me, on the outside of me, and all around me. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for great blessing on this day to everyone listening. In your mighty name, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you. Bless you. Be encouraged and blessed. The favor of God rests upon you and you stand up and be bold and be strong in this world and this earth because God is for you. And if God be for you, who could possibly be against you? Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.